Welcome to the Track Quest Podcast. James Orr here, and always Bob the Bowhunter Borland. What's going on, Bob? Not much, buddy. How you doing? Excellent. And yourself? Good. Good, good, good. I finished up the floors on my big remodel the other day, so uh, I am a happy man. Putting in 1,200 square feet of hardwood floors gets a little old on my knees for sure. The never-ending floor job. I thought that was never going to end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was telling somebody today, I was like, you know, before you have kids, it's like he, you you wonder why you didn't get more done, you know? Like you just like time was so – was everywhere. Now it's just – it's hard to get anything done with a three-year-old, you know? Thank God for my mom for watching her quite a bit so I could get it done. But, yeah, it just takes forever, man. One piece at a time. Just keep on – Keep on pounding them in. It's funny. I was listening to a podcast the other day while I was doing it, and it was um, South Cox, and I forget he was who he was talking to. I, I think it was Aaron on the Kafaru cast when he did South Cox, and they were talking about how he'd had enough, you know, injuries or his joints or whatever from doing hardwood floors for so long. And I'm thinking that as I'm pounding in these hardwood floors, it was it was pretty funny. So yeah, I'm glad to be done with that for sure. Yeah, I was feeling for you, but I have enough on my plate. I kept thinking, man, do I, if I wasn't four and a half hours away, I, I'd come over and give you a hand. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, all the free plumbing jobs you do for buddies over the years, and and uh, then you're doing something, and you're just there by yourself pounding them in, so yeah, that's the, the way it the goes. Du- the dust settles. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you finally got that done, and it doesn't sound like your wife is... Uh, 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 stuck you on an, another giant project yet, huh? No, no, I'm uh, just waiting for a painter, and then we're going to move in. So, yeah, I like uh, uh, Randy Newberg. I listen to his podcast sometimes, and he his big advice um, he gives marital advice, and the first one is um, he says uh, peace over justice. You know, let her be right, and I mean that's it's hard to do, but that's sound advice. But the other one is is never be a handyman. Like don't 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 buy tools, don't own tools, and don't act like you know how to use tools. Yeah, because that that creates more time in the field. You, you you're not a handyman. You don't know how to do it, and she'll find someone, hire someone that does know how to do it. You know what? Those are wise words there. And don't ever become a plumber either, because everybody you know always needs a plumber. So that that's another curse. Smart man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you just told people you're a firefighter. Yeah, well, I tell we... all the guys all the time, <laughs> I'm always in and out of retirement. I always tell them I'm retired, and they laugh, and ha, 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 and then, then one of them will sucker me into doing something, and anyway, it's... Right, because you're not going to get too many phone calls saying, Bob, my house is on fire. Can you come over? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, when uh, I raised and trained dogs for um, quite a long time, all through my twenties and into my thirties, and yeah, it was uh, it was amazing how many people wanted me to come uh, 
train their dogs for free or watch their dogs for them or it was like yeah this is what i'm doing for a living but okay <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah. yeah it's time i'm excited i'm i'm going to taking my daughter skiing next week i've been putting that off all winter i haven't skied in forever but but, oh uh, wait a minute, Bob! Uh, as Jason Sankoviak hey. says, and you, and you reminded me, uh, go ahead, go ahead and recite Jason's uh, uh, famous say, quote: "If you if you play stupid games, you'll win stupid prizes." <laughs> that was a, yeah. that was hilarious. But but in my defense, I'm taking a three year old, and we are not going to even make it on the hill. We'll be like at the hill in the parking lot, probably just going up and down. So yeah, I'm not doing anything yeah. crazy. That is, I, that's I w- why I quit those sports a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. I went snow, I went snowboarding, uh, last week with my father-in-law and brother-in-law and, uh, right away I could tell Bob was, 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 you know, generally concerned about my bow hunting season. <laughs> like, Whoa, are you, are you thinking this through? Like if you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. <laughs> And I can tell you honestly, I, I was out there snowboarding, having a great time, and I, you know, I, I grew up snowboarding, but I haven't done it in a long time. And I would, you know, almost forty years old. I'll be forty this year, and I would look at some of those jumps or some of those drop offs, and I would think to myself, I would think that I was like, you know, I'm not going to play any stupid games because I'm not looking to win any stupid prizes. <laughs> Yeah, that's why you got what happens when you get older. That's for sure. Yeah, and we called it quits like a little early. Normally, I'm like going to the last bitter end, and I was like, you know what? I made it through the day so far with no injuries. Let's let's call it a day. <laughs> my my mom says, uh, uh, "Getting old isn't for sissies." That's true. That's true. Yeah, um, but yeah, there's there's some truth to that. But I think you got to choose your battles wisely. Yeah, for sure, man. I I just don't do good. I don't have that, you know, play it safe card ever, <laughs> as you could say. So if somebody's like, let's go do that, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. And so no, yeah, I, I don't, I, I got to stay away from the extreme sports. I agree. I was telling my wife, I was like, yeah, um, that was really hard for me to not just go all out like I normally always have. And then I was like, you know, even though snowboarding uh, was a big part of my life at one point in time, and uh, it, I realized even though I haven't done it forever, like, yeah, it's it's not anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> bow hunting is means so much more to me, and and uh, it, as much as fun I had on the mountain, um, it it wouldn't be worth the the injury. I just kept thinking about my shoulders and 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 my wrists and my arms and I was like, oh man, I just need to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we're spring is looks like it's here. I mean, and I don't know what you call it. It's just raining. Cats and dogs <laughs> sideways. Yeah. Um, but I'm really pumped up. Uh my buddy Chris Tipton, he just sent me a video on um uh, he has got a, like a little, a little YouTube channel, and he makes these uh, videos that are um, they're basically a collaboration of his trail cam videos and his own videos. He calls it himself West Coast, 
and his newest video, you can find it on West Coast Fantasy E216. And it's like a 10-minute video of nothing but bulls, bulls, and more bulls. It's just bull elk wallowing, bull elk rubbing trees, bull elk fighting. And it is awesome, man. I, I watched his video the other day, and I was like, I called him up and told him he was a big jerk. And it was way <laughs> too early in the season to be sending me something like that because I am just frothing at the bit to get out to September. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think I saw some of his in the years previous. I think he did that a couple times and posted them up on iFish. And yeah, yeah this is his third up. one, and it's it's by far his best one. Uh, and I, I even uh, I'm not sure why, but he's got a few clips of me like just kind of moving through the brush with my bow from times we've hunted together or whatever. Um, so yeah, I made a, a appearance in his really cool videos. <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah. So yeah, definitely, you guys. If you guys want to get pumped up for some uh, September. Check out Chris's videos. They're uh, pretty cool. He's got some giant Roosevelt's. It's all Roosevelt elk uh, footage in there. And he's got some really cool black bears and color-faced bears. and um, Yeah, cool videos. He's got another one he's working on. So he's always putting out some good stuff to get you pumped up for September. Are, um, they, but- uh, are they all trail camera footage? So was that like you wandering by looking for the elk right after they were there? Is that what <laughs> Is that what no, the footage no. is? <laughs> like it's half and half. Half of it is trail cam videos, and the other half is just from his uh, video camera. Uh, like when we go out hunting together, Sweet. like on one of his videos, he had uh, a video of me missing a grouse, and this one he's got me like glassing up some elk and and just like hiking towards some bugle and like charging in towards some elk or stuff like that. Um, I think he even has some footage. It's not on this one of me missing. He calls in this uh, 270 to stud bull, and I shoot over his back at 10 yards. And <laughs> and then I cry like a little girl. Nice. Yeah. Nice work, uh, buddy. Nice work. Yeah, forgot to pick a spot. Yeah, that happens. That happens. Yeah, Speaking of uh, elk, too, uh, March 1st, I believe, is – the Utah tag application drawing. So any of you guys out there, don't forget that apply for Utah. It's only got a couple days left. This will be our last podcast reminder before Utah comes up. So We've got our fingers crossed that uh, Bob the Bowhunter Borland is going to go hunt big bulls in Utah this year. Yeah, I hope so, man. That'd be, that'd be sweet. That would, that would wreck my whole season. I'd be... I'd be going elk hunting for six weeks in a row, which would not be horrible. You know, we call that. That's that's that sounds like a good trad quest to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be sweet. Yeah, it's awesome. So, who do we got on the show tonight, Bob? We got Jeff Lander of Primitive Outfitting. He was nice enough to let us talk some hunting for an hour or so. He's a outfitter up in BC. Has been for a long, long time, way before our time. So. Yeah, he's a super awesome guy, and he's done a lot of hunting with a stick bow. Yeah, he has, and he's been able to uh, guide uh, guys into black bears and grizzly bears and moose and those giant Alberta mule deer. Man, that is high on my bucket list. Heck yeah, it looks like a good time for sure. Yeah, so 
Jeff is uh, a super humble guy. We tried really hard to uh, get him to elaborate on some of his hunting stories. And like most traditional archer guys, I mean, they're they're willing to to tell some stories on their buddies, but it's it's hard to get them to open up. And um, but uh, I think we you know did a good job getting to know Jeff on this, and we're gonna have to definitely get him back on to the show, and and because we know he's got a, a lot more to give. Yeah, that's for sure. Tried to get him to dive into sheep hunting, and he's yeah yeah I missed a stone sheep yeah i've been on a few of those hunts yeah 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 <laughs> he's super awesome guy super humble so hope you guys enjoy it well i don't know we just go ahead and start off uh you know let us know a little bit about who you are and how you got started with traditional archery and uh tell us a little bit about the outfitting game yeah well it's it's been a long time i'm i'm now considered one of the old timers i guess but uh yeah, I don't know, early 90s, I was working for a, a bow shop in Seattle, Salvino Sports, and Dick Salvino was a, he was a big recurve shooter, um, and just kind of, you know, he'd give me a hard time about shooting a compound, and, and uh, so I started shooting, uh, shooting his bows and got into it, you know, early, right out of high school, and uh, into college, and yeah, just kind of kind of took off from there and things have changed though things have changed a lot since uh since the mid 90s and 2018 but uh yeah it's been a fun journey love it are you from washington yeah i grew up in uh in richland washington kind of eastern washington my dad worked at hanford nuclear engineer so yeah yeah it was awesome very cool but now in canada so yeah, just basically, uh, you know, after college, got married and moved up to uh, up to the Okanagan, which is just north of Wenatchee in Kelowna, BC, and and uh, was a counselor and and lived up here and had our kids here and and then started outfitting. Oh, probably ninety four, ninety five is when I uh, you know started and I started very small with just a couple tags in uh, the Edmonton Bozone for whitetail. And just kind of have uh, have grown it from there. And so you tell us uh, you're saying who your first clients were. Yeah, my my first client uh, TJ Conrad's from Traditional Bow Hunter, and you know that was way before the internet. So you know we had the the TBM magazines and and uh, also was quite involved with North American uh, Longbow Safari. So I just knew him and, and contacted TJ and, and invited him up and and he uh, got back to me and said, yeah, that sounds great. You know, can I bring someone with me? Which, you know, I only had two tags. I said, yeah, sure. And he ended up bringing uh, Don Thomas up. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was the start of it. <clears throat> and it was a it was a fun week. And you know, I don't uh, I keep in touch a little bit with TJ, but I still keep in good touch with Don and his wife Lori. So. Great people, great people. Did uh, did they get whitetail bucks? Uh, no, no, they didn't. I can't even remember. I don't even know if they had any shots. To be honest with you, um, that was a long time ago. We shot some ducks, and and I just remember, uh, you know, hanging these ducks. And Don says, "Yeah, I was let them hang there, and they hung all week outside." 
and uh you know usually i would clean ducks right away but i guess the old school guys they uh they let them kind of ferment for a bit but yeah they tasted good but yeah that's kind of how it started and you know in the whole uh traditional game and then like i said the longbow safari um, my first my first traditional bow that I bought was from uh, Heritage Archery, which is uh, Rocky Miller. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. He's out of the game now. But uh, I bought a my first longbow was 85 pounds at 27 inches. Wow! So I was trying to match my compound that I had. You know, I didn't know any better, and Rocky <clears throat> tried to talk me out of it. But uh, but I went ahead and went with it and. Uh, yeah, so I, I went to the safari up here in Golden, and uh, knowing nothing about anything, and it's supposed to be wood arrows, broadheads, you're supposed to have flu-flus, and I just kind of showed up and didn't have any of that, but one of the, um, my guide, like at this shoot, you have a guide with you each day that whatever happened to be one of your, um, one of the guys you had on recently, which was Bert Freilink, and Bert loaded me up with i had nothing i had aluminum arrows and whatever and he yeah i was shocked he gave me these custom cedar arrows with you know grizzly 190s on them flu flus i mean the dude took care of me and that's kind of how i got you know kind of sold on the whole traditional archery game because it was just you know really good people really good people that uh you know, that was involved with that. So yeah, how, Bert's how, a good man. How many of his arrows did you break that day, Jeff? <laughs> mm, uh, you know, I don't even remember. Uh, probably most all of them. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. Uh, but he didn't seem to care. You know, he didn't seem to care. And, and uh, you know, after I got into the outfitting um, scene, I, I invited Bert up to hunt whitetails. I mean, he was a, uh, an Alberta resident. So, you know, it's not like it was burning one of my, uh, my Edmonton Bozone tags, but I invited him up to, to hunt with me and yeah, he had a good week, had, had an opportunity at a real big buck. We called Conan that, uh, that I think he shot under him, but, uh, anyway, in, in, in return, he gave me, uh, one of his, one of his longbows, I don't know, probably 12 years ago. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, just a small encounter at a, at a, at a shoot had a lot of impact on me. And, you know, that was Bert and a lot of the guys that were involved with that way back then, you know, Dave, uh, Richardson and I can't remember Dave Addy, um, another guy, I can't remember his name right now, but you know, at those, I don't know if you guys have ever, have you ever been to the Longbow Safari? Yeah. Um, we had it here in Oregon four or five years ago, I think. And, uh, we're having it again here, uh, Central Oregon right. this year. So yeah, it's a cool shoot, man. Yeah, June sixth, seventh, Brownsville. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I just still have the Gerber knife they gave out as a gift at that one. <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. awesome. <clears throat> Heck yeah! So how how'd you go from being a counselor to a hunting guide, Jeff? Like what? what pushed you there and how did that work up in Canada? Don't they have like areas you have to purchase or something up there? Yeah, it's, it's different in each, uh, in each province. Um, so, uh, my wife at the time, her, 
her family lived in Edmonton. And so I was working on my master's and, uh, one of her friends from high school, uh, is a big whitetail outfitter in the bow zone. And so when I was working on my schooling, um, I just started guiding for him and, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it started. I knew nothing, really nothing about whitetails because growing up in Washington, you know, it's elk and mule deer primarily, or at least where I was. So it was kind of a crash course in, in whitetail. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how that's kind of how it started. And then I think it was after, you know, speaking at, a, at one too many funerals of, you know, of teenagers and adolescents who were overdosing or doing whatever. It just, I had to get out of it. And so I just kind of segued into the, uh, into the guiding and then, and then decided I wanted to do the outfitting and, and really got lucky and getting a couple tags and then just kind of started it, you know, started it from there in Edmonton. So, um, yeah. And it's, it seems like you don't hear a lot about the bow zone anymore. I heard a lot about that when I was a kid. Is it still, mm-hmm. is it still there? Are you guiding there or? No, no, I, uh, um, I built up my, my business in Alberta, um, where I, at one point I had like 14 whitetail tags and a dozen mule deer tags in Southern Alberta, and then ended up selling a lot of that to buy my, my, my BC area. So, uh, like you mentioned before, I mean, in BC, you've got to buy an area, a set okay. area that the government has a certain amount of tags of each species. Um, with the exception of black bear, it's unlimited, but, uh, and so it's quite a, a lot of money to get into an area in BC, Alberta, you can buy, there could be a County that has whatever, 60 non-resident tags, and there could be 60 different outfitters with one tag. And so you can start small and then build your, you know, build up your portfolio in Alberta, which makes it, uh, um, doable for, you know, somebody who's young or, or whatever to start off in a province like that and then, you know, build up your tags or, or buy in BC. So that's what I did. And then I got back in, you know, I sold most of my stuff in Alberta and I turned around and bought BC, you know, the, the area in BC. But um, over the last 10 years or so, I've kind of bought back some of the stuff that was in Alberta for mule deer. So, yeah. Sweet, man. Yeah, that's good. So you're doing Alberta mule deer and bears in BC and whitetails. Are you doing any moose? Yeah, in BC we're doing um, black bears, uh, moose. We were doing grizzlies, but BC's shut grizzlies down here this year. Um, different government came in and shut it down, and uh, we have a little bit of goat, wolves. Um, we have deer there, but we don't hunt them there. It's just, first of all, just for, for a deer to survive over there. I mean, the winters, the wolves, everything trying to kill them. I, I just, I tip my hat whenever I see a deer in my, <laughs> in my BC area. But, uh, um, yeah, we have quite a, a prolific black bear and grizzly population. The moose are fantastic there as well. So it's about 980 square miles and it, yeah, it keeps us busy. Wow. So if so, if the bear population is booming, how did you guys lose the grizzly hunt? Polit- it's all politics, man. You know, it's all politics. It has nothing to do with scientific data whatsoever. So you've got a, a, a population base of Vancouver, 
is the biggest in, in the province. Um, I would, can't even tell you. I, there's probably 2 million people in Vancouver, 1.5 to 2 million, maybe even more than that. They're the ones who vote. And, you know, 90% of the population lives there. So um, there's quite a push. Uh, even, you know, folks like Miley Cyrus and, you know, they lent their name and voice behind it and to shut it down, you know, based on no data scientifically. It was all, uh, you know, personal, um, you know, what people thought about grizzly bears. Last year alone, I saw 33 different grizzlies in a about a seven-week period in the spring. Wow. So there's a lot of grizzlies. Um, and, yeah, they just uh, – the liberal, gov- or liberal government got voted out and uh, the NDP uh, got voted in and one of their uh, – you know, their platform, one of them was eliminating the grizzly hunt. So I think once they're gone, which another three years they should be, um, they'll bring it back. And this isn't the first time this has happened. It happened oh, okay. about 15 years ago as well. So so with that population going unchecked, I imagine we're going to see the ungulate, ungulate uh, population decline. Correct. Correct. For sure. And, and it already, you know, is the wolves are already having a, a major impact and have been here for many, many years. And again, that's a, a real touchy subject, mostly when you're dealing with airplanes and, you know, cause there really is no way to, uh, unless you poison them or, or even trapping or snaring, which they do up here already, you know, that wolf and you know, maybe besides a big, big mature boar grizzly is the smartest animal out there. So you, you know, to be a, a trapper or some, or you're snaring them, you better know exactly what you're doing because these wolves know what you're doing. And so once they get shot at, they don't, uh, they're pretty, they're, they're pretty cagey, pretty thrifty. So, uh, um, yeah, no, the moose and yeah, the ungulates are going to be, it's, it's going to wear and tear on them big time, mostly up North in the caribou and even the sheep populations. So, so, yeah. so tell us what your year looks like going from spring to fall, as far as species and the amount of hunters and, you know, are you, how, how many traditional bow hunters are you seeing, uh, uh, in the beginning and, you know, now and how that's changed? Hmm. Um, yeah, like I start my, my spring season will start at the end of April. Uh, right now, you know, I've got 40 plus bear hunters coming in and, and it, you know, I mean, which is the biggest year I've had last year was a real big year too. Um, I don't know what to attribute that to. I'm going to say Trump just to stir it up a bit, but, uh, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so we got a lot of, a lot of folks coming up. I would say out of, out of the people coming this year, I would say 15 to 20% of them are, are going to be traditional guys. Um, it used to be a lot higher than that. Um, but yeah, my, my, not my advertising, but you know, I'm in different sections now as far as different people that I know and, and groups and whatnot. So I get a lot of compound guys and some, there's some rifle as well. Um, and it's all fine. I mean, we got a lot of bears. So, and then, um, we'll go right into the, into the fall, which we'll start with moose 
usually would do grizzlies in, in early September. Um, and then moose when the rut hits, which is around, you know, the 25th or so of September, right through to the middle of October and then head right over to Alberta and do mule deer for two to three weeks. And when I was doing whitetail and whitetail was obviously in November, I, I hunt them on my own now over there, but, uh, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty busy. It's pretty fun. Yeah. It sounds like it. Fun. <clears throat> so when you go ahead, uh, so when you do the spring bears, that's all spot and stock in BC, right? There's no baiting allowed in BC. That's okay. That's correct. Yeah. And are you guys, it's pretty thick up there, right? I mean, are you guys glassing, um, from high points or how, how do your hunts usually work and when's the best time during the spring to go? Cause the season's a month and a half or something. Yeah. It's actually almost two months now. Two months. Yeah. I mean, it opens in, in April 1st or something, but you know, we don't get there till late April. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's all spot and stock. Um, a lot of, uh, logging roads, um, clear cuts, uh, fields, some of the farmer's fields down low, um, railroad tracks. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, each, each time frame during the spring, like your early season, all the bears are focused on the grass and there's not much grass. So it's, it's a very competitive thing. We, we do very well, um, early with, with big boars cause they're very, um, protective of their, their area that they're eating in. And, uh, but really there isn't a bad week in there to hunt just because as you get later on, you start getting into the rut and then those big bears are, are just cruising. And so it's a little more difficult to, I don't know, to, to get them to stand still where you can sneak in to 20 yards and arrow them. But what we've been doing is they walk into the wind and they they just cruise they're walking forever looking for sows and uh we'll we'll just start hoofing it you know and when we get close a couple hundred yards they never look back it seems when they're walking we kick our boots off it it might be an old logging road or a clear-cut road or whatever and we just run them down and (laughs) they dish into the into the you know around if they smell something they'll they'll come off the trail or or the logging road and sniff around and it's pretty crazy. You get straight across from about 10 yards of willows are just going back and forth because he's bulldozing through it. And then he comes up onto the edge and he just stares at you like, what are you doing? You know, and never scared. They're cocky during the rut. Very, very cocky. They just check you out. And then, you know, hopefully you get your shot off and, and he goes the other way. So <laughs> a lot of predator calling predator, you know, like uh, fawn bleat and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it works works pretty well. But each each time frame is different. The later you get, the more mosquitoes. But also, the more the upper country opens up, where you can get up into the higher country. Uh, a lot of those bears never come. You know, they're mountain bears. They don't come down to the lower country, down to the low valleys. They find you know shoots or or snow slides up there to feed on. And uh, and so, really, even later into June, you're shooting bears that are have no rubs and are very, very thick hides and, and, uh, yeah. So it's, it's fun, man. I, I, I love it. Almost at, as much as I still do. At what point 
do the predator calls uh, work? Like, is it time when the calves and fawns are dropping, and how well does that work? And what can you you know tell us about the predator calling? Uh, well, I use it later in in like later May when when they're on south. You know, so you'll be uh, whatever if you're walking down you know a trail or or like I said, logging roads, there's a lot of deactivated logging roads. So, you know, you're not going to get guys going down there with four wheelers or anything. You, you just walk in and, uh, yeah, they're just following sows is what they're doing. So the sow is usually the ones that will pick you up and go in. And then we start blowing on, uh, uh, like a, uh, fawn in distress Phelps call. And, uh, they're just can't stand it. They just come out and they just start marching right at you, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty. Uh, actually, it's going to be pretty intimidating because uh, I used to do it where you'd go at them. You know, if I saw them, they went in the, in the brush. I'd say, "Okay, get ready," and we'd go in, and I'd start woofing at them and be aggressive. And uh, and often he would come rushing in or whatever, and then we'd get him that way. But I had a, a guide who got mauled for three years ago pretty badly in a during a moose hunt that black bear came into the into the tent a big one 390 pound boar black bear tore him up and uh i just kind of changed my whole i don't know know, i don't know if you guys have been around grizzlies much but i have a different my heart rate changes when i when i am close to a grizzly versus a black bear i don't it doesn't i mean i'm still excited and i still am on edge and you know it it because they can kick the crap out of you at any given time. But for some reason, a grizzly always would make me take a deeper breath and a step back and analyze what's going on. Um, now I do that with black bears because after what happened, um, with him, um, yeah, that just kind of changed everything as far as how I viewed approaching these, you know, these big animals. And it's age too. <laughs> so. yeah. What uh, what kind of success rates are you guys having uh, with archery black bears in the spring? Mm. Realistically, I'd say eighty percent. Wow. Yeah, opportunity is higher. Um, yeah, with you know, and that in- obviously includes compounds. Um, sure. Yeah. The opportunities are, I mean, there's, there's years, every year we have somebody who does not have an opportunity. Um, but then we have some that have like 10 opportunities, meaning in their shooting range, you know, and under, and they either miss them or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty high success, uh, hunt for sure. And very, uh, target rich environment and kind of custom made for, in my opinion, for the traditional hunter, because you can get close. You can get very close. That's awesome. So you've got uh, Aaron Snyder in camp this year. Is that right? Yeah, this will be yeah his third year in camp. Yeah, yeah. And he's taken a he's taken a bear with uh, a recurve a couple years back, two years back. Yeah, yeah. That was his first uh, first year, his first animal with his recurve, which was kind of cool. Um, yeah, that, you know, he's, you've had him on, on your, on your podcast, right? Yeah. 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 
he, he's yeah, he's just one of those guys who gets it done, and he's very quiet, and he he doesn't usually pump himself up too much. But he's he's a yeah, he was he's a stone cold killer that guy, and he's a great stalker, and he's a he's a very good shot, but he shoots, you know every day a lot of arrows and uh you won't find a guy more dedicated to shooting than than schneider is um yeah he's a good guy i mean don't tell him that but uh. we're yeah we're we're really excited to, to have him back doing the traditional archery thing i think he's gonna influence a ton of new guys into the sport which is mm. you know awesome i mean i think he's a great influence and you know the more we can grow traditional archery. I mean, that's why we're doing the podcast. And so we recently uh, hooked up with Kafaro International and Aaron Snyder, and we've had him on a few times. And, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, him having another successful season and him having a positive influence on the traditional archery community. Yeah, I think that he has. Um, it, you know, I don't know how long you guys have been shooting – traditional stuff but but we're we're a weird bunch (laughs) and really we are and and we you know we don't lack opinions and we don't hesitate to give our opinions when we're you know in different in different corners that's not necessarily a bad thing but we do get a bad rap because a lot a lot of us think we're better than others even though we might not shoot nearly what the guys with compounds do but we like what we do and, and, uh, whatever. So Schneider, um, probably, I would say that when he started two, three years ago, I bet you he revolutionized traditional art, you know, hunting and, and well, on social media and everywhere else. I mean, I would have, I would guarantee that, uh, um, Hoyt sales, you know, with the Hoyt, uh, whatever they're, they're Buffalo. Making. Um, I bet you their sales tripled or more because that's where you're shooting. And, uh, you know, everyone's shooting three under and holding their, you know, holding, holding it back for five seconds. Like he does. (laughs) Never seen anything like it. You know I mean? (laughs) He he always tells us, you're a snap shooter. I said, dude, I, I grew up, you know, I I learned from video, an old video of John Schultz, you know, (laughs) shooting, you know, the hill away. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't pull back and, and hold an arrow if I'm looking at a target, whatever, for three seconds of my life depended on it. I'm so ingrained on me to let it go as soon as I touch. Yeah, but you were shooting 85 pounds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I went down. I went down to 60. Now I'm shooting 50 because my shoulders are gone. Gone. And uh, so I'm shooting a Centaur, you know, 50-pounder, and, and still that hurts. It hurts a lot. So... Um, I'm paying for it now, but anyway, you know, with Schneider, um, if he sticks with it, um, which I have no reason that he won't, um, he's already on a great, you know, starting off really good already. You know, I think he'll, yeah, there'll be a lot of people that'll switch over mostly with the, uh, with social media and everything that's going on there. So are you an old crusty? He talks a lot about the old crusties. Is he talking about you when he brings that up? Who Schneider? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure he is. <laughs> All right, that's that's what we thought. We just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you look at a lot of these guys. You don't, you know, you don't see 
a lot. And that's what I like about your, your podcast, to be honest with you, is that you have some of the folks that, that the old, you know, I would call old school guys, Doug Borland. I mean, how did you get Doug Borland on? Yeah. Seriously, that guy is, <laughs> uh, he's a pretty private dude, man. And, and, uh, Dick Robertson and I don't know his son, I don't know, Yote, yeah. um, at all, but uh, I know Dick, uh, quite well. And, uh, you know, you had clinky on, I mean, seriously, it's, uh, I think it's valuable to put those guys on there like Don Thomas. Um, and he'll do it. Yeah. He'll do for it. Sure. You know, and even Bert, Bert's <clears throat> old school and, and, but they have a lot to say, but traditional guys by and large are pretty to themselves and they definitely don't like social media. I mean, it, it's contrary to what, what we kind of, I don't know, yeah, we're brought up with. You, yeah. know, you don't bring attention to yourself. You, you bring the attention to the animal you're hunting. Um, so it's been a, it's been a tough, um, what do you call it? Transition for me. You know, you kind of have to be involved uh, online and, and some people, Schneider would call me an internet bully. Um, <laughs> but, and I don't think I am, but I mean, it's just, you know, I've come to accept that, you know, that there are a lot of people who, who, uh, who are promoting self and at all costs with, with, you know, likes and whatever versus experiences in hunting an animal and, and, you know, killing it, yeah. you know, with a, with a longboard recurve. So it's, uh, and I have nothing against compounds. Eventually I'll probably end up having to shoot one if my shoulders continue the way they are. But, uh, um, yeah, it's a different world now than it was even 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I think that the animal should be the star of the show and mm. with, through the podcast, you know, we're trying to promote traditional bow hunting. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think that that, I mean, I, I hope those things go hand in hand and we're trying to walk that, that line between bringing these legends and, and these guys that paved the way for us and bring them to the, to the forefront for these younger guys to, to learn from. And then there's young guys, uh, that I think, you know, have a lot to offer also. And so it's Absolutely. just, uh, a, a balancing act. And yeah, you know, things are different. Um, and me and Bob, you know, we're we're in our late thirties, but we're kind of old school guys, and we weren't on social media before the podcast. Uh, we didn't, re- you know, do any of that stuff. So we're kind of throwing ourselves into it our, uh, at the same time. Yeah, the problem is yeah. like like you said, if nobody, <clears throat> if it continued where nobody kind of started that then it, you know, all those guys would just go away, you know, like, so that's, that's a big reason we started it is, you know, you, you got all the Instagram stars out there that think they're awesome. And you're like, eh, these guys aren't awesome. I know who's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Let's get those guys on there. So yeah, it took some, it took some finagling, but, uh, that's kind of our goal with the whole thing is to, to, you know, bring, Real bow well, hunting back. Get along. You know, I mean, Duran's gone, but Dave Duran, uh, yeah, Larry D. Jones, um, John, love- you know, what I mean, yeah, uh, you know, I bought a strunk bow in '90, 1990, and uh, uh, you 
64 inch long, uh, self bow that I missed a giant stone ram with. And I still have it. I mean, it, I have to wear a mouth guard to shoot my self bows. I started actually shot self bows for a long time. And, uh, yeah. And Strunks was the first one that I had, uh, had used, but now there's man. I mean, Oregon's got a rich history of, of traditional guy. I have a lot of guys come up from, uh, still from Oregon, you know, Brinker senior and, Tom Mitaraki and guys like that, you know. Yeah, we love we love all those guys. I'm friends with all the guys you mentioned. Um, ju- I was just shooting arrows last weekend with Larry D. Jones. Uh, we're gonna have him back uh-huh. on the podcast soon. Uh, you know, Brinker and I mean all those guys, uh, super cool dudes. Um, well, Jones, I, I Jones is uh, you know he's hunted mule deer with me twice. Once or two, no, once, and then he hunted black bear with me, with Dwight Shue. And, I mean, when Shue and Jones came up for mule deer, and, and this is in the, I don't even know, it would have been early 2000s, the, the amount in one week that I learned from those two guys on how to hunt open country mule deer, to this day, I'm still using, like, the staircase method to, to see those, the top of the rack before you see the eyes. I mean, it was a, uh, yeah, it was amazing, and, yeah, Larry D. Jones is a, is a great man. I, yeah. uh, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but uh, good dude. I got sure. that. I found the old hunting hunting high country mule deer, the old VHS that all those guys were on. I found that thing oh. last <laughs> summer, and I, and I put it in. I found an old VHS. I'm like, yes. And, man, like you said, those guys were so far ahead of their time. I mean, it was early 80s, and, I mean, right. it, it wouldn't change – one bit how I go and hunt them now. I mean, that's that's the same way. Huh? Yeah. It's just yeah. awesome, dudes. Dave Dave Doran was on that. Um, that's a great. I have that. I have that on DVD, and that's funny because I was listening to a podcast today with uh, Stephen Ranella, and he was talking about how they would go in and walk every ridge down with their rifles, and now they've learned to sit back and spot and stock, and it took them like you know 20 years to to really hone that and figure that out and larry larry's been, larry and those guys were doing that uh 20 mm. years ago shit 40 years ago probably 40 yeah. years ago yeah. yeah i mean i was in uh when i was in senior in high school and i had bugling elk or something by uh dwight shoe who was my idol at that time and i you know back then you had okay i saw they lived at klamath falls so i called information Ended up getting a hold of him as a as a senior in high school, and introducing myself. And for an hour, he took out of his night to talk to me about elk hunting. And uh, and so yeah, he was one of the ones when I got into the outfitting that I wanted to uh, to return the favor. And 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 you know Dwight has come up quite a few times, and I've lost track of Dwight probably ten years ago. But uh, yeah, no good yeah. guys, and and a lot of us nowadays don't. You know, we don't know, we don't know, you know, the younger generation anyway doesn't know about a lot of those folks and, and what they mean to, to this industry. But there, like you said, there are some great up and coming guys, you know, Matt Davis, who's, who's with Mount Knobs is, you know, he shoots the, um, the Hoyt bow and I mean, he's doing well. And yeah, so, for sure. For absolutely. sure. Yeah. And for, for the listeners, if you guys aren't familiar with, uh, Larry D. Jones and Dwight Shue and the uh, hunting 
open country mule deer and elk fever one and elk fever two these are timeless dvds and they're still for sale and get your copy and you know enjoy them i mean i highly recommend them i mean we were at that pacific northwest the sportsman show here last week or the week before and tons of guys you know a lot of young guys coming through and and uh I mean, there's guys that didn't even know basically what a tab or a glove was. I mean, there's a whole generation of bow hunters that have never pulled back a bow with their fingers, you know? They're like, what's that? So it's fascinating. It's like, what? (laughs) But also, you know, I guess the the positive side of the internet, too, is you can go back and see and hit the history of this stuff. and, And, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I think it's, there are some amazing bow makers out there. You know, amazing bow makers. Yeah, when I yeah. first when I first ordered a custom bow, I went I went in the traditional bow hunter magazine and I I ordered. You know, you used to have to mail off for every catalog. You know, you would go off and mail right. off freaking thirty catalogs, wait for them all to come in the mail. Now you can just now you can look at everyone on Instagram pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that it's really interesting because, you know, it's it's the evolution of time. I mean, uh, guys from your generation went from traditional bows to the compound coming into the scene and gravitating towards that and trying that. But now these this younger generation are born with the compound, like Bob said, and, and they've ne- they've never put their fingers on the string. And it's the next level, you know, the guys that are getting bored with it, the guys that have found so much success, you know, we had Snyder on and he, he talked about how he, when he went to the stick bow and then back to the compound, he wasn't getting that same feeling as he got with the stick bow, the the excitement level. And it's a next level thing, I like to say. And so it's a different transition uh, for the next, for this new generation, it's it's they're moving they're choosing to limit themselves by equipment to to pick up the challenge but they're also learning the fun in traditional archery yeah and i mean he'll tell you that he he became a better hunter because of it i mean you have to otherwise you go hungry you know basically (laughs) you, you yeah i mean Aaron likes to, I mean, it doesn't matter what he's hunting. Um, he, he is there for the kill, which is why you're out there and everything that comes along with it. But I mean, the goal is you're trying to get meat and and shoot a nice animal. Right. So he, uh, he would be the first one to admit that after his stint with the, the recurve two years ago, that he became a better hunter that when he got within the range of where he could kill an animal and I've experienced it with him and I've seen it, the distances he can shoot better. At, he can shoot better at 80 yards and I can shoot at 15 hands down, hands down. But it, you know, I mean, whatever I tell when he starts saying, you know, uh, you know, I was within uh, compound range and, you know, I could have killed it with my compound. I said, yeah, but you could have killed it with your rifle an hour ago. You know, so what it doesn't matter You know what you could have shot it with. No one cares. But, uh, <laughs> but he's a, you know, I mean, he, but because of that and last year, he, he found that he, you know, he's able to get in and, and, you know, get closer or do whatever he wants. I mean, the, still the problem with Aaron is he, 
you got to you got to put a shot collar on him because he he likes he enjoys to fill his tag so much that he'll he'll fill it and well perfect example and he won't mind me telling this but you know we had a couple really nice bucks going into a certain area and the one that he ended up shooting last year in Alberta on Monday the you know by noon the first day was a nice you know whatever 155 inch but there was a uh, you know there's a buck that was pushing over 180 that was within 30 yards of him but he couldn't see him and he could see the one that was bedded so he ended up killing that one and I'm like dude you got five more days what are you doing and he killed a really nice you know real nice buck with his recurve the year before he goes I just you know it's there and I enjoy it and so I shot it <laughs> so now he's got the recurve again so now I mean he I think to. that's why he makes such a good traditional bow hunter is because he he doesn't it's not a game of inches for him and he's happy to to fill the tag and so now it he's got to work a little harder and he's going to be happy with whatever he gets yeah yeah for sure and i mean he just does things that that you know a lot of guys when on a mule they're anyway when it's better they're doing the whack-a-mole you know popping their heads up looking around he hasn't moved anywhere you know hitting the range finders over and over and over and over again even though they've been sitting on them at 30 yards for four hours they still do that eventually the deer sees it and moves out but once he knows what's what, he's he moves into position and then he doesn't move. And uh yeah, he he's gotta figure it out. But I think with him switching back, oh, I already know. I mean I've got a lot of people that I know that have contacted me and have ordered, you know, custom made bows because of what Schneider's doing. So Yeah. Again, I knew him I knew I knew when he, he was talking about um the hunt last year when he was with um I think he was filming Broderick and yep. he was right on Broderick's back uh, filming and Broderick made that perfect shot on that mule deer and how excited Snyder was right. Like I could tell when he was telling that story and his excitement level of talking about that, I was like, okay, he's coming back. I, I do it right then and there. I was like, he's, he is uh, the compounds probably for sale this week. He's coming back. Yeah, oh, he, yeah, he's back full force, and it's funny. A lot of guys, a lot of boyers send him, you know, want him to shoot their stuff, and he's very particular. And, you know, Broderick has got a company that, you know, I've got one of his longbows coming uh, next month, and these things are phenomenal. And, uh, I mean, as far as the advancement of what he's doing, and it's been a few years in the making, but, you know, yeah, the, even though he's top- good. Good friends. The top, the top secret bow. I guess, yeah. Um, it's 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 really smooth. But like I said, with with Aaron, he's going to shoot what's best for him. And 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 even with uh, you know with the podcast and stuff, you know that you know whatever he's he's pimping is is probably pretty a pretty good product. So because he goes through a lot of it. But right on. Yeah. Hey, um, you touched a little bit on a stone sheep hunt um maybe you could tell us that story i know we've been talking about Aaron and stuff but <clears throat> i know you've done a lot of hunting in your day and you don't like to talk about yourself but uh you talked about missing one with a strunk self bow let's let's hear that story let's get into some sheep hunting yeah well i've missed i missed two nice rams and have had opportunities and i don't know i've probably been on five or six 
stone sheep hunts. Um, are those in? But yeah, up in northern BC, all of them. Is that where? Yeah, you've been? Fin, okay. Fin, or, yeah, yeah. And uh, no, that was just a hunt back in like '92, maybe. Went up uh, with actually he's one of my guides, one of my best friends, uh, Gary. We call him Lamar, but uh, yeah, we went up on a sheep hunt. I never. Um, never been up north, you know, moved here from Seattle and it was just, you know, I was in awe and this kid is, uh, well, he's my age. He's, he's 51, but he, uh, he's in better shape than most, most guys that are half his age. So he was off and running and it was, we had to hike way in, but anyway, so yeah, it just saw some Rams. They were smashing their heads together and, you know, it was early October and, and again, I was just in awe of the North country cause it's so big and vast and there's just a lot of critters running around up there and yeah i got in got in fairly uh fairly close and had a caribou bull come behind us and was they sound like a pig when they're grunting and he was grunting at us because it was a rut for them and i'm just i had no idea what was going on <laughs> it's not like i'd seen many caribou in my life so it spooked the the rams that were bedded and anyway finally got got back up to it is it it a little bit farther shot than it's about 30 yards and yeah shot under him but uh, it's pretty cool, you know. I mean, where those things live is uh, magnificent. Um, I don't think that they're the smartest. Uh, you know, I think a, a old mule deer is a bit of smarter, if not smarter, or a blacktail, or you know, grizzly or whatever. But just to get to where they live is uh, is tough. It's uh, tough. They probably most never. Of the older you, most of them have probably never seen a human, so they're probably not don't know what's going on. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. That's for sure, for sure. And then some have seen a lot of people, and and uh, and they just kind of stay out of reach. But um, now they're they're a fun animal. I'm hoping hoping to go back up um, this year. We'll see. I've got some other things on my list I'd like to get to as as I get older. But uh, yeah, sheep sheep are fun. What what are some of the hunts that you're able to take time out for yourself? It sounds like you're doing some whitetail hunting yourself. Are you getting any mule deer hunting in for yourself, or is that? I know the life mm-hmm. as an as an outfitter is tough. Yeah, but you you make time. You know, I've been I don't know twenty five years or twenty four years, so you kind of have to make time, and and I do, and so I I'll hunt mule deer, which is probably my favorite of of everything. They're just everything's going to fall together in or, you know, in that open country, um, you know, it'd be like, I don't know, hunting them up by hood river or something, you know, I mean, just kind of wide open stuff and, and, uh, in Oregon there, but no, it's, you know, mule deer, I'll get a weekend, if not more, um, early season. And then, you know, after my last week in October, when the guys finish, there's usually three or four days to hunt there. And I'll hunt them there. And then November, I got wide open, and, and I'll go up to Edmonton and um, freeze in a tree stand. <laughs> so, yeah. But this year, it'll be because of Grizzly shutting down. I guess the one advantage of, of Grizzlies being shut down is that I've got three weeks in September to hunt myself before I start moose. So, um, yeah, take a bad situation, make it good, I guess. So. Nice. Yeah. So that'll be all mule deer in September. You guys don't have any elk around there? Um, oh, we do. Yeah, we do. I, you know, I hunted elk a lot down in Washington. Um, and so when I moved to BC, elk was, was not 
you know, it was way at the bottom because I'd shot a couple of them, and and I thought, wow, there's whatever fifteen species of big game animals in you know BC, so I better start. And I've hunted elk a little bit since then, but not. I mean, it's nuts, man. You guys down there, that is the animal, and it's fun to watch some of the YouTube videos of how guys are doing it now. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. But yeah, so that's kind of the extent of what you know. Mule deer right at the top. Black bear is fun as well, uh, but there's only so many black bears you can really shoot. And moose is high on my list. Uh, I killed killed a caribou, but it wasn't very big. I'd love to get a nice mountain caribou. Um, so yeah, lots to do before uh, before the lights go out. <laughs> so I hear the caribou are no good once the rut even begins at all. That the meat's no good. Is that is that true? Uh, just, it's, it's dependent on each, each animal. I've had really good caribou and, and the one I shot was not good. I mean, it was, you know, you had to sauce it up pretty good with, you know, like a stroganoff or a, or something that's got, you know, but even then the smell was, was bad. Um, I think it's just dependent on, you know, on each animal, kind of like a, a big root and white tail. And, you know, back then I probably didn't, didn't, uh, didn't know how to uh, take care of it as well as I would now as far as the glands and, you know, whatever, the musk. So, yeah. So who's been some of your, like you talked about some of these legends we've had on the podcast. Do you have any stories that you wouldn't mind telling uh, with, you know, a Dick Robertson or a Doug Borland or a Don Thomas or, you know, one of these guys that have been hunting with you that, you know, a story like that, that you could share. Yeah. I mean, all those guys, I mean, like even going to the safari as, a, as you know, when I was young and, and they'd always have big campfires and listen to guys like Tim Meggs, you know, usually he had a Budweiser in his hand, you know, hooting and hollering, but then the stories that would be told, just kind of sit around and you know and be quiet and listen to some of these guys um you know don or or tj or uh, uh what's that the guy from montana he moved to australia now brunner at his place whatever but um you know one example i would say is is doug borland um you know he's hunted mule deer with me um we got married over real close to his place on the beach and Doug's a very, you know, very soft spoken man. And, and, you know, I don't even know if he told, you know, about the ram that he killed up North and in Alaska when he was with the goat, that thing was a flipping giant, giant ram. He had one picture that I saw. And I mean, it was curl plus, whereas, you know, a lot of these internet guys now would take 40 different angles of pictures and that thing would be pimped (laughs) for years, for years. And, Doug had one picture. Um, Doug would, you know, when we were hunting mule deer, he wouldn't shoot unless that buck was under 20 yards. And he had some immense mule deer in front of him and the guy could shoot, but he wouldn't shoot, you know, examples like that, which you don't see, you you know, you don't read, you you know, that's kind of, I don't know that the, the ethics involved with, with shooting what we're shooting um, there's a lot of responsibility and you get caught up in some of the, you know, uh, production numbers, um, likes online, you know, that 
tends mostly with these younger crowd to really, uh, um, I don't know, kind of, in my opinion, pull them away from, from why they're shooting what they're shooting. Um, because there's nothing like, I mean, in my opinion, you shoot a 130 inch whitetail with your, with your longbow. It's the equivalent of a Boone and Crockett with your compound period, as far as what you've accomplished. Um, so yeah, I mean, just, you know, Don Thomas is another guy who's very, you know, he's pretty quiet. Uh, you know, he's comes from a different, different era and, you know, he, uh, he's done very well and his writings are some, in my opinion, just some of the best writings that's out there, you know, as far as traditional bow hunting. Um, but you don't hear much about him, you know, I mean, you don't read about him online. I mean, he's very, very quiet. We were at his place, you know, about a month ago in Southern Arizona and, you know, he's really into, into bird hunting and wing shooting and dogs. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's another one that I, you know, really admire strong, all those guys. Yeah, John Strunk's the man. We're, we haven't had him on yet, but it's going to happen soon. <laughs> I haven't heard hiding her hair. I know he's still doing his classes, and uh, yeah, yeah. I took one of his classes a couple years ago. He's he'll be doing one, I'm sure, that <clears throat> week before the longbow safari again. I think he does that every year. So beginning of June, anybody out there, look him right. up and call him up. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's he's always at all the traditional shoots, and so I'm always uh, picking his brain and you know shooting some arrows with him and whatnot. So that would be I would love to do that. I mean, his class, you know, those days are are going to be coming to an end. I don't know how old John's got to be. Who knows? He's, yeah, but uh, those are classes that you know. I mean, I don't even know. He charges like a hundred bucks or something. It was crazy, and you sit there and learn from probably the top self bow guy you know from in the last 30 years for sure if not more 40 years what, so, what do you think bob i mean john looks really healthy to me yeah I mean, he looks like he's doing well oh yeah heck yeah. yeah yeah and i mean doug borland yeah i mean yeah that guy's the salt of the earth I mean, <laughs> he's awesome yeah we're gonna get him back on soon we've been playing phone tag and so what do you think Jeff, for the younger guys out there, because I know, you know, we hear on some of the other podcasts about, you know, well, I, I shoot as far as I can because I don't have time or whatever. Like, like, uh, I mean, what what's your two cents on that, you know, because we've gotten a little as far as what uh, shot distance, you know, like, um, you know, pushing that range. I'm sure you've seen guys that you've guided, you know, shoot too far and and uh you know, you're saying guys like Doug that really stick with it. They know their effective range, and they know, you know, I shouldn't shoot past 20, so I'm not going to. I mean, how many times have you seen that not happen? And I think with the younger generation, you know, a lot of these guys are, like you said, wanting the, wanting the success, so they're, they're pushing it, you know. Well, I would, I would start with me. Um, I, I tend to. Yeah, I've stretched it out and uh, and shake my head wondering why. And I've been successful doing that. I mean, not like way out there, but um, yeah, I think, you know, if you can get to 40, you can get to 20, you know. And, and you know, if you're calling in a bull or, or you know, bull, moose, or elk, I mean, it's, you know, hit or miss. I mean, they could be right in your lap. We've We've had shots as close as five yards 
on a bull moose, um, four yards on a black bear, um, not intentionally, but it's just the way it worked. And, you know, there's times when, when you might think you can reach out and touch them. And, you know, most, most guys aren't clicking it to know what, what their distance is. And if it feels right, they're shooting and in which case, you know, but I find with, with the traditional guys that, that I've had, not many of them are going to be flinging 40 yards. And if, if they ever do, I'm, you know, I usually would, would say something to them. And, and just like I would with somebody who's shooting a compound, you know, with a black bear, it's 40 yards and under. And I mean, there's guys that are very, very accurate, well past a hundred, but we're not doing that. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, the only, the, the disadvantage in today's era is, is Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, where you're trying to get a following, you're trying to get dead animals on the ground, getting those pictures, being better than others, um, you know, hashtagging stuff you never use. Uh, <laughs> that's, I think, is the biggest evil of, or not, well, distraction for our hunters in this day and age is, is they really are trying to be something in the public eye and not enjoying their time, you know, one-on-one with the animal that they're after. So, um, I mean, I can say that cause I, I, my freezer is always full because guys, we shoot a lot of stuff and a lot of people fly, they fly in for a moose. They're going to take a hundred pounds of moose bag with them, which means I got 200 pounds. Of moose. <laughs> so I don't worry about what I'm going to kill or not kill. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty picky on, on, you know, mule deer or whatever, but part of that's because my freezer's full. So, uh, but yeah, with a lot of these, these, these guys, it's, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure these days to be successful and a lot of ridicule if you're not. So I don't know. Yeah. Would you guys agree? I mean, from yeah, what you for say, sure. For sure, man. A- absolutely. A hundred percent. And, and, also like as an outfitter guys that are, I mean, I'm sure it's, uh, you know, you got to save up to, to hunt BC and Alberta. Mm-hmm. There must be a lot of pressure on guys who have, uh, put that hard earned money and hoping to get an animal. And how do you, how do you, um, you know, how do you work? It sounds like you're good at getting guys opportunities, but you know, how, how do you, how do you, how does that play out? As far as, oh, as as far as uh, um, you know, convincing some of these guys that on their first guided, you know, BC or Alberta mule deer hunt to calm their nerves and and wait for the right time so that they might get their opportunity. I mean, right. Well, with with mule deer, is a whole. Um, see, with mule deer, you're seeing lots and lots of deer, and and, and usually by Wednesday. Um, Wednesday night we'd show dumb and dumber just to calm these guys' nerves because they're like, <laughs> what do we got to do to kill one of these things? <laughs> and literally, and, and so, you know, by Tuesday they're starting to get discouraged because you cannot make a mistake. Really? I mean, you can't, it's wide open. And once you kick one, it's a domino effect and you're just watching wave after wave of mule deer running away. And so, um, you know, there's a certain way that, you know, if you want to, 
you never should see their heads. You know, you're, you're, all you're seeing is the top of their racks. They're always bet up against a bank. The wind's always at their back. They can see forward. Um, you just, you just, you got to watch them. That's the biggest thing in the morning is you got to watch them until they bed down. And then they're going to bed down, you know, two, maybe three times before they're down for good. I learned that mistake with, with Larry. Larry's, you know, they were going after these bucks and we were doing hand signals. And I was about a quarter of a mile away. And he told me, he says, hey, just keep an eye on them. While I started looking elsewhere, that the buck got up and moved. And I didn't know he moved. There's two of them. I could still see the one, but the other one had moved closer to where they were coming in on. And they walked right in on them and blew them out. Because I didn't follow them and watch them, you know, like he told me to do and see where they go. So patience is a big, is a big issue, I find. Um, traditional guys, I think, are, are more patient. They have to be if they're ever going to kill anything. Um, so I don't usually have an issue with, with the traditional um, community as far as what needs to happen. But, um, you know, and then on the other side of it, you know, with bear uh, and moose, a lot of guys will pick up a gun. You know, if it's their, if it's they saved up and and it's a really you know the once in a lifetime hunt. I have you know I don't have a problem with that regardless. If somebody says to me, man, I'd really like to shoot that thing, I don't think I can get closer. I give them that option. I said, well, you know, if you want, you can use this. And usually it's with moose because moose is a pretty expensive uh, animal and the meat is phenomenal and they drive up and they got coolers so. Yeah, I'm pretty easy going that way, whereas some, you know, might not be so much. Yeah. So what advice do you have to the to the younger crowd that wants to be Insta-famous and <laughs> it is, is just got their head wrapped around that picture? You, you know, what, what, do you, what, what do you think the, the answer is there? What, what, what kind of advice do you have for these kids? I would ask the question, why? Okay, so why are you doing this? Is it, is it, is it for money? Because there's enough guys and gals, a lot of gals, um, <laughs> you know, who are, who are seriously, they've got like 90,000 followers I know, dude. And, haven't, and, and haven't shot anything. No. And yet they're telling me that I need to go buy vortex or I need to go buy crispy. <laughs> it's like, who are you? You know what I mean? But yet there's enough people out there that are doing it you know, who are following these, these, these guys and gals. So my advice is, um, why are you doing it? If it's for your own fame and to be somebody, you know, in your own ego, that's going to end. If you're doing it for money, it's going to end because there's somebody better behind you. Mm-hmm. There's some, there's going to be a better shot, more animals. Um, you know, if you want to get into the business to make money, then I suggest you, you know, work for one of these companies and get a wage, a day, you know, an hourly wage and do it that way. Cause I can't imagine what it must be like to have to suck up to, you know, <laughs> all these people. And, I, and it's happening, man, like the oh, Western yeah. hunt expo or whatever in Utah. I mean, I was talking to some friends who have some big booths down there and the amount of people that are coming to them saying, Hey, I've got a hundred thousand followers. I want you to pay me. Well, how much do you want? You know, well, I want a thousand dollars a month. It's like, what? You haven't even shot anything. Well, it doesn't matter. I got all these followers that are going to follow. So that's kind of the trap they're in right now. And uh, is being as good or better than, than the other person. And the, the the amount of effort they're putting into it to do that is, is 
alarming, in my opinion. <clears throat> think, yeah, abs- absolutely. You, you think that's uh, that's bad for hunting in the long run? I mean, you've been around long enough to see see everything go around and come back. What do you think the the future is going to look like, mm-hmm. man? I know these tags. I don't know these tags at Western Hunt Expo. I mean, they're they're raffling them off. I mean, they're selling them for a fortune. I mean, I I apply for all these tags throughout the West. I mean, there a lot of these tags. You could apply for them for literally a thousand years and never draw them. Now there's so many, so so hard to draw them, and so that just drives up the price. I mean, and then you get guys that are all public land and are against anybody hunting on private land, but they go out and buy a a landowner tag that costs. 10 times what it costs to hunt some private land and they're out there saying they're hunting public land and they're awesome. And, and I mean, what, what do yeah. you think, what do you think's happening? I mean, where are we going? Well, I think that, uh, that all hunters on all sides of the fence better be getting on, um, you know, as far as the, the conservation, um, a public land is massive. Um, and we're losing, you know, losing stuff all the time. And, you know, so organizations, well, BHA, in my opinion, is, is the leader. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of them, I should say that, but that's one I'm most familiar with. And, and, um, you know, if these, you know, we like to hunt, we better start putting our, our money behind some of these groups who are fighting on our behalf. And mostly now, I mean, mostly now <laughs> there's a lot going on down South that, uh, you know, with, with, with land that's, uh, becoming, an issue and, and up here as well. I mean, we don't have huge tracts of, of, you know, public land up here. And, but yet, you know, there's things that are happening that, you know, we're losing it bit by bit. So, you know, starting with the grizzly stuff. So yeah, I guess priorities, you know, what's your priority? What, what, why are you, why are you spending two grand or whatever on a, on a compound bow, you know, or a gun or whatever, you're doing it so you can go out and enjoy and, and, and hunt and challenge and, you know, have a challenge and put meat in your freezer. And, uh, you know, that in my opinion is could go to the wayside if we lose our rights to, uh, you know, to be able to hunt, you know, yeah, I, plan I, forever, so. I think the, the adventure, it's like the adventure is lost in some guys. Like they're so caught up in having matching camo and a $50,000 truck and they think they need a, like a special tag that's going to give them a chance at a 350 bull or they don't want to go hunting. And it's like whatever happened to just throwing some uh, food and gear into your backpack and grabbing your bow and your arrows and, and going hunting in your backyard, if that's what it takes, and, and ex- exploring. And, well, some, and people's, get... some people's backyard sucks balls, James. <laughs> 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 and they got to go somewhere else. So don't speak for everybody. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. I do, I do have elk in my backyard, and there's a huge adventure waiting you for me have back there. The highest population elk in our state in your backyard. So yeah. Well, I watch. Uh, I don't know if you know the guys, the uh, born and raised guys. Yeah, they're uh, uh, they live. Uh, most of them live right here in the same town as me, or a couple of them live just a few hours away. Steve Howard from Born and Raised Outdoors is a friend of mine. Right, right. I think you know. I, I watched their deal here this last whenever winter what i mean they're 50 days or 30 days or whatever it was hunting and man those guys just proved 
as far as public land and what you can do if you put your mind to it and put effort into it. And they, they made no bones about it. They were just like, this is what we do. And oh, yeah, know, that... I watched every one of those things. And I, and I cannot stand like a lot of these TV shows. And I mean, it's just, it drives me insane, but those guys, and I hope they stay on that same track and uh, because they're genuine and, and, I guarantee you that a lot of people um, picked up hunting and probably switched to bow hunting and are going to be buying, you know, uh, resident tags and non-resident tags and trying that themselves. And, and I thought that was pretty cool because they shared their knowledge and how they do it and what they do. Um, yeah, it made me want to go elk hunting again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cody Kellum and Trent Fisher and Trevor Fisher, Steve Howard, Ty Stubblefield, I mean, those guys cut their teeth on hunting some of the most hardest country uh, uh, there is for elk. I mean, hunt Roosevelt's and blacktails in the rainforest. And I, I think we, we, we really turn out some awesome hunters in my neck of the woods. And, yeah, those guys are definitely the real deal. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, Roosevelt. They're Roosevelt hunting. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, man. I mean, it was thick and... They weren't hearing. I mean, yeah, it was just, anyway, I really enjoy it. You know, I've talked to Cody online a little bit and just, yeah, I think one of them's a trad guy, isn't he? Cody, Cody, uh, dab, he dabbles in trad. He's good friends with South Cox. He's got a podcast with him and he kind of goes back and forth and he's a super uh, awesome guy. He's been real helpful to right. us. Yeah, that's cool. You, uh, I think when I talk to you, you do a lot of shed hunting in the Springs. That That's probably coming right up for you, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Another, another month, I think I, I head out. Yeah. I got my dog down. He's, he's down in uh, Wisconsin. Um, he went down in December and he's being trained. Well, he was down there for almost a year for sheds and, and birds. And then we were in the States. So I sent him back down for a little bit. So yeah, he's coming up. So we usually go out to Alberta. I have a guy who comes in, uh, this will be his 16th year in a row, uh, shed hunting. Um, so I've been guiding shed hunts probably, well, 20, almost 24 years. So, you know, when it first started, no one was doing it, no one cared. And, uh, now you, I mean, there's probably 2000 shed oriented Instagram things, man. It's crazy. Yeah, I know it. Um, did you have a dog even back then? Did you train your dogs back then? No, no, no. I always thought that I always had bird dogs, but I, uh, I always thought that, that shed hunting was, was going to be detrimental to a bird dog and what he was trained for. So, um, I never trained, I had my bird dogs out there with me running around like idiots, but I never trained them, which was a mistake to, uh, to find sheds. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I had two Vislas that I trained and this was shoot, probably. Oh, Nuge died in 2012 and he was, so it was around 2000. So that long ago, back, like you said, before anybody did it. And, uh, I had two Vislas, man. And we used to, we used to clean house up, you know, in the Cascades. It was a blast, man. Good time. Oh, but yeah. yeah. Now they have actual dog trainers. It was, it was, it's crazy. I mean, when I started doing it, I'd heard, I'd had a couple buddies like, yeah, I was up hiking and my dog found these sheds. So. I had a pup at the time, you know, bird dog, and I'd take him up there stump shooting with me and stuff. And and then I, uh, I'd i try to throw him a horn and mess around, and he just never, you know, paid any attention to it. 
And then I, so I gave up that spring. And then the next spring we're up there hiking. It was early, late January. We didn't have much snow and I was just up shooting my bow and, and he, and he's messing around the log. He picks up a shed and he brings it back to me. And I'm like, good boy, man. I, I really pet him up good. And dude, he went and found the other half. And then like from that day on, he just knew what he was doing. And it was awesome after that. And then I got another dog and he just watched him and bam, it was, it was on. So it's addicting. You know, and, I, and back then I used to think that it was cheating and now yeah. I'm thinking, what an idiot. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, how stupid can you, you know, that's, that's probably the traditional thing in me thinking, yeah. oh yeah, if you can't do it yourself and what, you know, what a dummy. Anyway. <laughs> so now, yeah, it's, uh, I go out to Alberta. I don't even bother here. Um, you know, I live in Southern BC. I don't, I don't go out much here, but, uh, um, yeah, Alberta, we do that trip every year. We do it for a week and we just, we just go hard. And, and now we primarily focus on, uh, on mule deer. Um, yeah. Cause all my whitetail spots, I mean, there's guys that are hitting it every day with snowmobiles and, and yeah, it's just getting crazy. Oh, it's it's crazy yeah. down here. There, there have seasons down here. I think, I think Wyoming or something might've actually started a season this year i know they shut down some of them because of the winter last year i mean i know that over there in utah and wyoming and um northern arizona i mean it's crazy how many guys oh, are it's out funny there. to see the utah guys bitching and complaining about you know whatever but yet they're out there i mean they're hardcore but they're out there watching these big 400 inch bulls every day yes. until they drop and you know what do you expect and then you then you're selling all the hats and then all these young kids are buying hats yep. and they want to bite these other guys and so they're going out there trying to scoop and get out there early and push the animals and man i don't you know i don't blame them for putting a, a season on it i mean if we're lucky up here just i mean there's guys that are out looking but we still have places where i'll find sheds that are five six years old um and you know, maybe the far the farmer still wants you to do it, but you know you can't go around. I mean, you used to be able to go around to these farmers and say, "Man, I got a bunch of sheds out in the in the garage. If you want to go look at them, you go out and look." And that, yeah, you'd find a ninety inch whitetail shed, and you go, "What do you want for it?" Well, I don't know, ten bucks. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" You know, and now all these <laughs> a lot of these guys from stateside are coming up here going to the farmers and paying them 200 bucks and taking all their sheds to the point now you guys can't go back through the border with more than I think it's eight, at least here in BC or Alberta, it's eight, four sets or eight sheds to go through. And, and we've gone through with 60 or 70 of them. Wow. wow. So wow. things are changing. Yeah. It's changing. Now, are there, are there blacktails where you're at in BC? On the coast there are. Yeah. And are those populations doing well? I mean, do you know anyone that's doing any good on them? Mm, I, I don't know much about it, no. Okay. No. I, I haven't I'm heard a, that they're pretty good, yeah. I'm, I'm a blacktail nut. That's why I asked. So. <laughs> yeah, you guys are a different breed, man. You guys are a different breed. <laughs> yeah, but but don't get me <laughs> wrong. I, I, don't get me wrong. Uh, Alberta Mulier is high on my bucket list. <laughs> There you go. Wow. Different different breed. We call them coasties. That's what we call them down here. Coasties. <laughs> there used to be a blacktail hunt, and I always wanted to go to that thing. Every year it was like a contest. Uh, yeah, I remember that. that. It was called the National Blacktail Hunt or something. Larry and Dwight, I think, were involved with it for a number of years. Uh, you, you hear about yeah. that, James? I mean, when's the last yeah. time they did that? 
It's been a long time, but I've heard a lot about it. I never participated, but it seemed like it was a ton of fun. That was back pre. That was like pre nineteen ninety six when we could still run hounds on lions and bears and bait bears, and we had like a really booming population of blacktails. Right. But but the 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 two million people in Portland changed all that for us. Yeah. Funny how that works. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Well, we, we really appreciate your time. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. We appreciate all the support. For everyone listening, check us out on Instagram. If you guys aren't on Instagram, get registered. We're also on Facebook. We've got all kinds of pictures pertaining to the podcast we do. So if you get on there, you can kind of get a feel for who we are and what we're up to check us out on our website at tradquest.com don't forget to leave a review on itunes stitcher podbean and always keep the wind in your face pick a spot and shoot straight